You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey. Welcome back to Sparking Wholeness today. I am so excited to be sitting down with Elisa Keaton. She is a wholehearted pursuer of God's love in heart, mind, soul, and strength, a fitness professional for over 30 years. She is the founder of Revelation Wellness, a nonprofit ministry that uses physical and mental health practices to spread the gospel by inviting participants to become integrated and whole beings through biblical teachings, online events, productions, and in-person retreat experiences. Elisa is the author of The Wellness Revelation and Heir to the Crown and hosts the popular Revelation Wellness podcast with over 7 million downloads. Elisa lives in Phoenix with her husband, Simon, and they have two children, Jack and Sophia. As a family, they are on a mission to change the world with the kind and courageous love of God. So welcome to the show. Aaron, thank you. My gosh, I'm like, I'm tired reading all that. <laughs> oh, but it's been doing a lot. <laughs> it's right. But it's so I love the emphasis on holistic living yeah. and wholeness and mind yeah. body. And I think we yeah. are going to have an amazing discussion. I can't wait. Let's go. All right. So let's talk about your new book, which is called The Body Revelation. I just want to know how did your own story play a role in writing mm-hmm. this book? Mm hmm. Well, I have been a enjoyer of fitness uh, participant for a very, very long time since I was 14 years old. And I took my first aerobics class in 1985 and I loved it, fell into it, was doing it. I fell very much into fitness comp- competing and doing everything in that time. That was the eighties and nineties that everyone else was doing. And I loved helping people. It just really Uh, sparked my interest and passion to help people who felt like they were struggling, people that were having a hard time making good choices or just needed some help. Uh, And I could help people do that. And I could, um, you know, get them to goals that they wanted. But I always noticed two things were happening. People would tend to become obsessive about their health or their body or the thing that they're wanting, or they would get going and wanting it and then would fail or something would set Mm -hmm. them back and then they would just fall into a complete neglect cycle. So I noticed how polarizing the health and fitness and wellness world was. And I had it all together on the outside. Like I was nailing the formulas, doing all the things, but inside my soul was empty. I felt like crazy on the outside. I could say the things, think the things, but then I couldn't live some of the things out in terms of a woman of peace, of joy, things that I was really made for and craved. So that was when my crisis of faith showed up and I needed more. Like if our marriage, my marriage was on the brink of disaster, I was wanting things from my husband that he could not fulfill me. I think I Mm. bought into the, you know, you complete me lie that we all kind of did. And my life was going off course. So I started to do my own soul work and I fell in love with Jesus. He found me. I found him. The gospel is amazing. Jesus is amazing. Um, just knowing who he is as a person who was on the earth, lived, died, resurrected. There's history to, that shows that this was really someone who came and lived and created this revolution, which is the Bible and Christianity. But even in that, Aaron, I still struggled to, I would read the words of Jesus and the hope that he gave us. And I couldn't get myself there. I believed it in my head, but I couldn't get my 
life to live it out. Mm -hmm. Things would scare me. I was living in fear of things, my kids, my marriage, trying to control things. And it came to this crux. It just came to this point where I was doing all the things again on the outside. So I was doing it prior without Jesus physically in the world, still not happy doing it now with Jesus, still not happy. And I'm like, what is going on? I can't do this anymore. I feel like a fraud. You don't feel real to me, God. I'm doing all the things that I thought, you know, I'm supposed to do. And I still feel empty inside. And Mm -hmm. I came to that moment where uh, I was ready to give it all up. I'm just this, this, I don't want to do this anymore. I felt betrayed by God. Uh, I even had some disappointments in my life that were happening. Like, Hey God, you're supposed to protect me. I'm doing all these things for you. Why are things still going wrong? And then one day I was done. I was cashed out. I was ready to cash it all in as a ministry leader and everything. And I went into my office and I was just ball like crying. I was mad at God. I didn't want to talk to him, but I was just mad. And I looked over at my Bible and I just looked at him like, I can't even read you today. Like, I don't even want to read you. And I heard this, this spirit of, of a voice inside of me or a sense inside of me say, put the Bible down. I don't even want you to look at that Bible. Come and sit with me. Mm. And it was like this little pat pat on the couch, come sit down next to me. And honestly, you guys, I had never really done that before. Mm. Just come with all my hurt, my anger, my disappointment, my fear, mad, bad, sad, scared. And I sat, I'm going to cry every time Aaron. And I sat on that couch with him and I didn't, I didn't disregard the word, but I had had enough word. And I think that's part of what our our disconnect is in our unhealth. We have a lot of information. We have access to all kinds of input and we think the input and the information is going to change us and it doesn't change us. Information with emotion in some type of a novel way or a new way that changes us. And I think God shows up in those moments. So for me, he showed up on that couch and just, I weeped and cried. And then it wasn't very shortly after that. I I just said, you have to help me understand what's wrong, what's going on with me. And that's when I discovered uh, the adverse childhood experiences. Mm -hmm. I started looking more into how our upbringing, how we grow, the environment we are in, organize and changes our brain. Our brain gets disorganized by it. So you can know what is right to do and still not be able to do it. And that was then I pushed in and I said, God, teach me more about that. And that's where this book came out of. Wow. Oh, that gives me chills actually. So I, this is, that's great. I love that story. And just the idea of sitting and being is sometimes countercultural to what we've been taught, even in our faith communities, you know, just to sit and be and be loved and it's okay. Yes. Yes. There that's so lacking. And I think, um, I knew I grew up in a home where you couldn't just be, you had to be performing or be keeping your room clean or be, uh, be abiding by whatever house rule that was necessary. And that's because my mom and father had their own wounds and trauma and trouble right. that were not tended to. And so I couldn't rock their boat. So whatever was going on with my boat needed to just, I need to figure it out on my own and try and, you know, a child will always to choose attachment over, um, over their independence or mm-hmm. over the sick, like if the health, they'll choose the sickness and the attachment 
over health and independence because we have to, we're children, we're dependent Mm -hmm. upon that provider. So I had to relearn authority. I had to relearn God. I had to relearn everything void of what I had projected onto him from my upbringing. Mm, Yeah. Well, you know, a major theme in your book is this whole concept of metabolizing pain. And Mm -hmm. so I want to break out, like there are two lines that really stood out to me when I was reading it and Mm -hmm. it's first chapter, right. But you say in chapter one, you can't bury or evict hurt and suffering. It must be metabolized or to put it another way processed. And then later you write in essence, your body can feel more like an enemy than a friend since it becomes the storage room for your pain. And we as women do have a tendency to vilify our bodies, right? Yes, we do. And I frequently say, you know, try to partner with your body, befriend your body. Yeah. But I've never really thought about it from that standpoint that it's a storage room for our pain. And that might yeah. be the reason yes, why we are not choosing to partner with it. So gosh, yeah. can you break that down a little bit? Yes. Yes. Well, I go into that first. So the book is, is organized into six stages for metabolizing pain. So we start in stage one, which is called surviving. We just have to realize uh, that we do things just to get through life. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing. I mean, God has made us to live. Like he wants us to have life. Um, But survival is not the end of promise. It's transformation and growth we're looking for. But in that survival stage, I talk about desire, energy, like, so anything you want in life is a desire. And that desire is fueled by energy. You have to, you have to put food inside of you in order to have the energy to go and make that thing happen, whether it's go to work to get the paycheck or, you know, go to the workout so that you can feel better. Everything. And I I break this down in stage one, everything in our life is about energy more than it is about concrete matter. We make things about matter and matter really is the, just the evidence of something that is unseen. It shows something unseen. So um, our pain is energetically experienced. I think everyone in your community can get on board with that. Mm-hmm. Like if, if I right now, and I won't do it, if I was to shout no really loud and just like freak you out, you would feel that in your body. There would be mm-hmm. a shot of cortisol. There's hormones, chemistry, and electricity that's going on inside that this body of ours. That is really the mission control of our body is in that nervous system and electricity and energy. And there is a Newton's first law of thermodynamics or energy, which is this energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only be transferred, passed onto someone else or transformed into something else. So God is the God of great desire. He is the God of energy. We are here because a source said, let there be more life. Let there be more of me. And that energy now comes from him. And when we have things go wrong because of sin in a fallen world where we can choose not to want God, which is loving of God to do, he doesn't make us choose him. We can choose him or not, but there's consequences for our choices. Sin brought pain into the world. We see that in Genesis three, there was no pain in the world until God says the consequences for our sin to Eve, there will be pain in childbirth. And for Adam, there will be pain in working the earth and trying to get what you need to survive. 
So that pain is energy inside of us. It can't be created. You didn't create it. It got passed on from someone else, your family, your upbringing and worldview, and it can't be destroyed. It has to be received and either taken in and absorbed for your own purposes or pushed out onto someone else. And if it's not good, we don't want to push it out, but we can transform it into something else. Mm. And that's why we have to be not afraid of our pain. Pain is not a shame game. It is actually an invitation to more wholeness, integration. Pain isn't a bad thing. It's, it's a bad experience, but it's energy that can be used for something good. This is why people who live through really painful times and come through hopeful and optimistic with a story, it changes the world. People pay attention and listen because that person did something with their pain Hmm. that was productive, that they used it for good instead of letting it store up inside of us. So it will corrode us from the inside out if we don't know what to do with it. And that's what I teach in the book. Yeah, I love that. I've never, I'm going to have to sit on that for a while. Just the concepts of transferring that mm-hmm. energy and, and mm-hmm. processing that. I mean, and it is something that many of us, I mean, we know that at a very genetic level, we get trauma passed down through our DNA, you know, yeah. and all these negative feelings, or I would say unpleasant, unpleasant feelings that we have that sometimes have to do with what's what we've inherited. And so Absolutely. I think that that is such a beautiful description of, of how that works. And so I really appreciate that breakdown. So with this whole concept of pain and, and metabolizing pain and processing through pain, how can our bodies be a part of the solution for moving through the past pain and beginning a healing journey? What, what does that look like mm-hmm. practically? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, practically it looks like be first to become an observer, to be able to just recognize I hurt. I'm mad. I feel scared. Uh, because again, the experiences we live through are energetically charged. So I can walk into a room and it can feel uplifting or down, uh, can take you down in your, in your emotional energy and, and awareness. But when that environment you're in is just to acknowledge it without being afraid of the emotion. I think what's happened is we uh, are afraid of our feelings. We don't know what to do with our feelings and with our emotions. And so instead of learning that our emotions are not scary, they're actually beautiful gifts. Our God is an emoting God. Again, back Mm -hmm. to energy, energy, emotion is energy in motion. Mm -hmm. Something's up joy, surprise. That's energy in motion, mad, bad, sad, scared. It's energy emotion. So we can use our emotions as a way to know where we are in space to an oriented to a, a God of peace, a God of love and a God of wholeness. But a lot of people don't have that moment to just become aware. That's why in the book we practice, there's a lot of practices throughout each chapter, at the end of each chapter, there's a practice to do that is there to help us strengthen our parasympathetic nervous system which is the brake pedal that can slow us down to modulate so we can feel a feeling without doing a feeling. We can just feel it. Mm. So that's part of what's necessary. First things first is I won't be able to metabolize something unless I'm aware, oh, I'm feeling this. 
I now have a choice. I can pass it on to someone else. And if it's not a good thing, or I can sit here and bring this to the the space where God says, I can do something with that. He's the Mm. God of the great exchange. Give me your fear for uh, your fear and I'll show you faith. I'll give you a different construct of what this could be because God is not, um, he's, he's not confused about our life. He is optimal, like optimal possibility. Anything is possible with God. But when we feel that pain and get small or don't know, we have the pain, then we will use it in ways that are destructive. We might go to the pantry, go to the box of wine or box of wine or bottle of wine or, <laughs> or, you know, drive through the, the, the drive through to just get that stress hormone cortisol mm-hmm. to quiet down where mm-hmm. taking a breath has been proven to shift. It will shift you. If you're in a state of panic, fight, flight, freeze, if you can just find your breath, why else? When people you see in the movies, if someone's been wounded, they say, breathe, breathe, mm-hmm. breathe, <sighs> come down, come down. And we need that practice of becoming aware that I can take that and transfer it into something else. I'm also big in the, in the book about our body, just getting into your body and mm-hmm. moving, expressing this energy inside this body creates rigidity and tension. But when we move, not work out, not get the hard burpee push up. I mean, for some people that feels really good. I always say, just make sure you feel free about it mm-hmm. and you're not doing it and only compounding more stress in your body. Mm-hmm. Um, but that you really are shaking out some of this, this, these emotions and energy that's getting stagnant and stored in you. That's useful way to move the energy out rather than suppressing it with food, drugs, or anything else that just numbs it momentarily. Yeah. I love that you talk about that because it is something that so intuitively happens with kids. I have a six-year-old and one of his things we call it, I've never talked about this on the show before, but we call it the thing. That's what he does when he gets, I don't know. And actually, I really don't know if it has to do with a reaction to emotional stress, or I know that he is more of a highly anxious child. And when he, certain times of the day, he'll start moving around, making these sounds, kicking Mm. and fighting these imaginary people. And he's just moving his body like crazy. And yeah. it's very soothing for him after that yes. done, and he can sit for a while as adults. Right. We don't allow ourselves to do that. We're looking for, like you said, like a substance and which yes. works too, but it might yes. not be as health promoting. Um, it, and it might not be moving anything through anything, right? It's also not as integrating. It's yeah. also not, this is yeah. just me still being me. And it's okay to be the kid who's like, I just got to shake some stuff out yes. right now. Great. It's also my daughter loves to cry. She mm-hmm. loves to cry. And I, I <laughs> used to, when she was little, her tears would rattle me. Like, why are you crying? It would make me upset. But then I realized she just feels better after she has a cry. A cry doesn't mean she's sad. A cry doesn't mean I've done something wrong. She just is having emotion. And for her to express it in a natural way that is part of her DNA is to cry. And so, yes, mothers and fathers, it's so wonderful that we can, I think we're in a time now for the next generation that Lord willing, we will give them language for their body. We will help them to say, well, that's a great thing that your body does that. Tell me more. How does it feel when you feel excited inside? 
because if we can help our children to know just to be a friend to their emotions, uh, then they can walk in a room and trust more of that gut instinct of mm. this isn't a good place for me to be. Ooh, I'm, I'm separating here for myself. I need to get somewhere else. And for those of us who are believers and, and have the Holy Spirit inside of us, the Holy Spirit is arguing for us to be going into good situations that we go, oh, I'm so scared of those. I don't know if I have what it takes. And he's like, no, let's go bring your whole self. Or to get out of situations where it's like, I got to get out. This is not a good environment for me to be in. And so we stay whole people ever, wherever we go. Whole people are resourced people and resourced people can bring resources to others in need. Absolutely. Oh, that's such a good point. And I think also, you know, we think about all this information that we've been given growing up about our bodies and how our bodies are a problem to be solved or something that needs to be fixed. And we hear from other people, what we should be eating, what we shouldn't be eating. And we never actually tune in and go, well, what actually makes me feel good? What is something that makes me feel like I'm thriving? And I know one of the things you say is, that our bodies are not a problem to be solved, but part of the solution to moving toward a holistically healthy life. Yeah. So I'd love for you to yes. break that down a little bit. Yes. Well, that goes after diet culture. We have got <laughs> yeah. to destroy yeah. that thing, dismantle yeah. it, burn it, bury it, shoot it. It served us in no way. I mean, I don't want to completely, there's some fun things we learned from it, but we, that's all we've known about our bodies is this fit, this mold fear, Uh, the whole diet fitness culture does perpetuate fear and prey on our fears of being old, fear of being weak, fear of being fat, fear of not fitting in. We don't have the body that's in right now. And I, I think we, I like to think that we're on the other side of it. I think people are now saying it doesn't work. All bodies mm-hmm. are good bodies. Um, mm-hmm. You health comes in every size. Yeah. And I've known people who are small and unhealthy and who are big mm-hmm. and unhealthy. It doesn't, you cannot mm-hmm. measure that according to what we see. So we are in this beautiful place of saying, yeah, it's, it, it can't be that anymore. It has to be, we need a more beautiful construct for what our bodies are for. So our bodies are not a problem to be solved, but if I approach my body more as a, a a fearfully and wonderful made mystery, I wonder what my body can do. I get to try new things. I can go to the gym and try if I like lifting weights and that feels good to my body, then do that. If it doesn't feel good to your body, go find out the mystery to be explored because in that is where also there's such beautiful opportunity to connect with a God who made you. So you're not just going and doing what everyone else is telling you to do with your body. You're actually, your body is created in a way to move and have a being where the God who gives you life and gives you ability to move and have a being connects with you there. So, you know, the Holy spirit dwells in us, God in, in the Christian faith, we know we receive the spirit of God in our bodies, which is so crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, he, God could have said, I'll give you a you know, a little bird to fly next to you or a spirit around, you know, he goes, I'm going to move into your body. So when we are integrated in our body, being true to what our body needs and, and looks like, and is capable of, then we are more connected and available to a, a wholeness and a, a, a rootedness in love. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really good. And I'm so glad that you touched on the you know, fall out of diet culture, because that is something that I know 
many women are struggling with because they tried all the things and the things yeah. might've ended up making them more unhealthy than they oh, were before, you know, absolutely. and slowing down the metabolism and, and all of those, those things that we do. But again, absolutely. it goes back to, we're doing it because other people told us to do it, not because we're tuning in with what our unique bodies need. So right. you also say something that when our bodies move, our minds seem to receive God's word with less resistance. I thought that yeah. was fascinating. So can you explain that? I love it. I wish I had my little brain. I got to remember to bring my brain over when I do interviews <laughs> because our brains are so beautiful and fascinating. First of all, our brains are different than our mind. Our brain is just a mechanical part of a 13 pounds, part of the 13 pound weight of our head. It's the organ inside of us that helps us organize information. But the brain is like a butler. It's waiting for you to serve or to say, what would you like to do? Your mind, what you're conscious of, what you're aware of, what you're mindful of, back to observation, your mind is feeding the brain and telling the brain what to think and how to operate. So your brain is part of how you, you move. You have, because you have a brain, everything with a brain moves, everything with a brain moves and your brain is connected to your spinal cord, which helps you to move and go out. When you move your body, this is what I'm proposing. When you move your body, you are engaging what is called the limbic part of your body. And that's true. Movement is happening in the body brain, the lower brain stem and the emotional part of the brain. The limbic brain is the emotional part. In there is your fight, flight, freeze. In there is all the places that are kind of stored up in our youth of we had an emotion, an energy in motion, an experience happened. And from that, we create a worldview up into our prefrontal medial cortex. So we begin to think this is how life works. So our brain is forming at all times from, from the moment we are in our mother's womb all the way through life. When we move our body, you're occupying that limbic brain. When you move, you're just getting limbic. You're just getting in your body. So as you start to move left, right, or however you start to move your body and the blood flow comes up, and you increase that heart rate and that blood flow goes into the brain, you're also pumping out new neurons. People who are active have more neurogenesis. Their hippocampus mm -hmm. is one of the areas where neurogenesis happens, one of the two areas in the brain. People who exercise, get their blood flow going, start pumping out new brain cells. And the amygdala gets quiet for active people. People who are active, have smaller amygdalas and more robust hippocampus. Hmm. which would tell me, so as I move then, if I'm moving and all that good stuff is happening in my body, but then I put in scripture, now I'm able to bypass any emotional attachment I hmm. have to a thought or a belief because I, I, my limbic brain is active with my body. It's kind of busy. So I can access higher reasoning that I probably couldn't do if I sit down and just read. It can get past the emotion because I'm actually in an emotional state. I'm moving my body. So the body brain is going, okay, great. We're good. We're good. We're calm here. And as I think about the word or feed myself good information, I mean, this is true for anyone. You could even do whatever enlightenment reading you want to do. It's going to stick more. Not to mm -hmm. mention there's cognitive flexibility when we are moving our body, dual tasking is happening. So it's really a beautiful part of creating some dynamic and renewal architecture in the brain when you exercise. 
So I say, why not do it? Bring God's word into that movement time. And you'll be surprised how it goes deeper. It sticks longer. It stays with you because it becomes more visceral than just information that I received in my, my, my prefrontal medial cortex and then forget about it. I'm working it out. Yeah. It's so funny. You mentioned that I'm just finishing up a functional medicine program, which has been very grueling, very challenging, but early on, I realized I can focus better and study better. If I listen to it while I'm working out and I listen to my videos and I study, but I do the same thing with devotional podcasts and with just even the Bible app, I'll listen to different things while I'm, you know, walking. And I think that bilateral movement, right? Bilateral. Yes. EMDR. Yes, it is. But the way you explain it, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I love all the brain science and I haven't thought about it to that. So I'm going to have to replay that one for myself. Um, I hope everybody heard that. Yes. (laughs) I, I mean, I, again, I don't, this is where I, I don't have the, the research behind it, but I, this is the reason. Cause this is why people tell me something changes when I'm moving my body, mm-hmm. it goes further, it goes deeper. And I believe it's like, you know, elephants back in the circus, their, <laughs> their, their trunks would sway right and left. Well, they figured out how to keep the elephants trunks from swaying by putting a stick in it. When you go, move your body, you're putting a stick in it in that, that wandering kind of right, left, my emotions Mm -hmm. and it's holding. So now I can think higher and my cognitive ability is more focused than if I'm just sitting down. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That makes so much sense. And it's, I, I, the way you break it down is so, so helpful. So what would you say for somebody who's listening to all of this and they're really struggling to be present with their body or their brain? You know, we talk a lot about mental health on the show. That's part of my health history. And I know many listeners are struggling with their mental health, but they feel like their body is warring against them. They feel like their brain is warring against them. What can, what kind of encouragement can you offer? Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing I know it's, it feels counter uh, cultural or even counter to your instinct, it's to do not worry. If, if you're worried about the health or worried about the diagnosis, it, it's a, a, a cycle of a spiraling down negative cycle. It, you can't get out of it. The first and most beautiful thing you can do is you got a diagnosis. I say this a lot. A diagnosis is never a prognosis. Mm. Just because someone told you something, it's just data. It's just information. It's not a label. It's not a death sentence. It's just some information. Now, when you can partner that without the spirit of fear, the Bible says in first John four eighteen that uh, there is no fear in love perfect love casts out fear. God is perfect love. You invite God into a space who knows you, loves you, made you, wants to be with you. Then fear has to go so that you can, you can have that diagnosis or that thing that you think that might be ailing you, but invite this, this presence of love in. The second thing I would say, and now I come from a spiritual perspective is that we have authority over these things. Uh, mm-hmm. That we don't have to just say, this is how it is, that you can take a firm stance against th- that diagnosis and then set up your life with some choices that support, I am not this mental health victim. For example, my daughter has been diagnosed with anxiety, which I think many of our our, our teens and she's 
now almost 20 years old, but I think our Gen Z is just anxiety between mm-hmm. media yeah. and phones. It's, it's there. So it's a diagnosis. Uh, and I'm not against medication. I think there's places and time for it. I, but she chose to like, I want to learn how to partner with my anxiety, not think that this is going to be my death sentence for life, or this is what I'm always going to live with. So she's learned again, how to recognize when she's having that emotion. So for someone with mental health, when you're noticing anxiety and depression seem to be the number, the two, Mm -hmm. you know, there's other disorders that I clearly, you know, everything under medical care, but it's just goes back to this. I'm having the feeling. It doesn't mean I am the feeling. What can I do to have some distance to partner with love that is greater than fear? Because if I begin to think in fear, it will spiral down and down and I won't be able to get out of it. This is why I'm big a practitioner and stillness meditation just, and, and I'm not where meditation people freak out because they think, Oh my gosh, <laughs> I can't do it. It's too, don't think of it that way. I do think going for a walk without your phone or with <laughs> right. no, no input mm-hmm. is meditational mm-hmm. because we, you know, we do like the podcast, like, oh, I love that too, but yeah. sometimes put it down and just see if you can go for a walk and notice your feet and notice the trees and, and just notice what you're thinking about as you're walking. (laughs) Um, Just sit down in your, your front porch for a few minutes, no phone, just sit there. These are moments that allows us to have agency and authority over the sickness that tries to take us captive and say, you are sick. I'm a big fan for anyone in that, just no fear and put some bumpers around your life where you don't partner with that diagnosis as this is, this is my prognosis. Yeah. Yeah. That's so helpful. I, I like how you mentioned, I think no phone a few times <laughs> yeah. there because they, they are, I mean, technology is such a distraction. It goes back to, you know, different ways we try to metabolize our pain going to our phones is another, oh, is another yeah. way we try that numbing out Num- everything, numbing out. everything mm. again, that isn't here in my body. I've been resourced with everything I need to live a healthy, whole, integrated love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness kind of life. It is all in here. I'm resourced. But this stuff in the world kind of pulls us apart. And there's nothing wrong with the phone. There's nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong with anything. But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by Mm -hmm. anything. So that we're going after the mastery here, back Mm -hmm. to my thoughts. What's mastering me, love or fear? What's mastering me, belief or unbelief? What is driving me? And I Mm -hmm. love that God always provides us peace and a way out. Absolutely. Now, my last question that I love to ask everybody is that the name of the show is sparking wholeness. So if Mm. you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? (laughs) Well, I guess what the Lord's saying, um, (laughs) read your Bible, read the Bible. Um, I, and I, I come at that from, if you are a follower of Christ, read your Bible, do you know, only 11% of people who say they are Christians read their Bible, which mm-hmm. makes me, I think that might be why we have an issue of the rest of the world, not seeing us as loving people because we're mm-hmm. not really, we're either afraid of the words of God, or we're not coming just with all of our stuff and vulnerable, 
vulnerability of placing it before him, or we really want to understand everything. And there's a mystery to the Bible as well. But for those of you that aren't like read the words of Jesus, it's, there's such wholeness in there. He's a fascinating, fascinating man uh, that showed us a kingdom that's greater than this world here on earth. And uh, I think that to me is just the greatest wholeness that I have, the greatest gift I've ever been given because I can walk through life uh, feeling the sparkle, feeling like, you know what, no matter what, whether abounding or abasing in plenty or in want, I'm good. I'm content with what I have. And I think that's the fountain of youth, the the source of health and a resource for wellness. Absolutely. Yes. I love that. And I needed to hear that and be reminded of that myself yeah, right? because we all this do. wellness world is there's always a solution, but, um, I always come back to my primary nutrition is, is my faith and, and my yes. trust and the Holy spirit working in me. So yes, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Okay. So where can people, um, follow you and get your book? And I know everybody's going to want to be reading your book after this. Cause this was so I hope good. So thank you. I hope so. Yes. I, there's a lot in that book that will um, help kind of dissect this all and make it more bite-sized and attainable to understand. Um, you can go to alisakeaton.com is just my website, but I'm mostly at uh, Instagram, Elisa Keaton on Instagram or revelationwellness.org at our website. That's the ministry that I uh, began in 2013. There are all kinds of free resources. There are all kinds. There's a tab that says new here. I encourage you to just click on that. We'll kind of walk you through. Uh, if you're curious about an integrated faith in a follower of Jesus kind of way, we got you covered. Go there and check all the things out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. I really enjoyed this conversation and we might have to do a part two because this, this is too if, good. <laughs> if yeah, if you, you'd let me know, but Aaron, you are doing great work. I'm so excited that you're out there talking about these things because uh, yeah, some, some of the Christian world is going to freak out and you know what? That's okay. Keep mm. going. This is a narrow road. Not everyone's mm. going to love what we're saying, but there's something here that I think it's fallow ground. I think we haven't we haven't walked it. So I bless you to keep going and spreading good news. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is so good. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.